Turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 12 through 27, please. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 27. Once you've found it, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Remember, uh, when we've done reading, I'll say this is the Word of God and invite you to respond enthusiastically. Thanks be to God. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Verse 17. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with weakness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in all they're doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their heart, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is the word of God. You may be seated. And invite our children this morning to, to pay attention during this message. I'm going to actually need one of you to, to volunteer in a minute to, to, help us, uh, to help us out. From this passage this morning, I'll preach from the title, Living Faith. Living Faith. This week I was in the car for a while. I had a long drive and I was listening to a podcast hosted by uh, Ezra Klein. He's a columnist for the the New York Times. And he was interviewing uh, the Oxford philosopher Amiya Srinivasan about her collection of essays called The Right to Sex. Now, interesting, the conversation ended up being as much about the nature of desires as the title of the book. At one point, Klein asked her, do you think that people can, with applied effort, change their desires? And the author replied this. She said, I think the malleability of desire is a more familiar notion than some people want to admit. So, take people in long-term monogamous relationships. I think most of those people have had the experience of having certain kinds of inconvenient desires, sort of threatening desires for people outside of that monogamous relationship. 
And there's a kind of choice to be made about how you're going to relate to that. Now, you can't turn it on or turn it off. That's just not how the mechanism works. But there is a kind of interesting, subtle interaction with something more volitional. So, you have a kind of choice about, are you going to attend to that desire? Are you going to nurture it? Are you going to let it grow? Are you going to identify with it? Or are you going to try to set it aside? Now, uh, the question about desires, about our ability to nurture or resist certain desires, about whether we are subject to selfish desires or whether we can grow into more loving desires. This is a perennial question for philosophers and theologians, but, but also for, for teachers and for parents and, frankly, for any of us interested in growing as people. James, the author of this letter and likely the brother of Jesus, is also interested in questions about desire and agency. Apparently, there were some Christians who had come to believe that, that faith was simply a matter of belief, of private belief. That it didn't have a lot of power over how people actually lived. They were content to hear about the word of God without doing a whole lot about it. And James could not disagree with this instinct more strongly. Instead, in these verses, he made the point that, that Christians could be doers and not just hearers because of God's goodness and generosity. Now, over the past couple of years, I've spent a whole lot of time on one particular aspect about, of the question of desires and growth. Namely, can white people truly grow away from racism? Can we truly become trustworthy friends and collaborators with our sisters and brothers of color? Or to put it differently... Will the faith that we proclaim ever turn into the sort of loving and sacrificial solidarity we read about in Scripture? Or will we always only be hearers of the Word? Now... Your questions are different than my questions. Maybe your questions about growth and, and desire have more to do with, will I ever be able to forgive that person? Will I ever stop hating that part of myself? Will, will they ever grow beyond their selfishness? But if you're like me on your difficult days, whatever the nature of your question about desire and growth, those questions can get you down. Change can seem impossible. True growth can seem like it's always out of reach. But in this passage, James will not allow us to despair. He presses us in these verses to see the improbable, to imagine our lives as doers and not simply as hearers. And so to our questions about desires, about change, about growth, about futures different than the ones we've resigned ourselves to. This morning, I simply want us to see that God gives us the ability to live our faith. God gives us the ability to live 
our faith. Now, importantly, James shows that this faith in action applies both to our personal growth as individuals, but also to how we represent the justice of God in this world. Or to put it differently, God gives us the ability to live our faith personally and publicly. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm talking to Alicia and Alicia only this morning. Does that make sense to anybody else? Come on, I need some help, you all. I can only see you from this much. So I, I, I need a little extra body language today. Can you do that? Can you do that? Thank you, Maggie. Let's look at the first one. God gives us the ability to live our faith personally. Say personally. There we go. James begins by talking about temptation, and he uses two different metaphors, word pictures to describe how temptation works. The first is like a fishing metaphor. It's, it's a lure. He says temptation is like a lure that, 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 that comes up in our desires and, and grabs our attention. And we all know how this works. We've all experienced this today already if we've paid attention. We are cracked people in a sinful world. We understand that desires come up that grab our attention and lure us away from the will of God and the way of Jesus. That's normal. Uh, then James goes on to say in verse 15 that, that when sin is conceived, so the metaphor has switched now from a fishing metaphor to a, a childbirth metaphor. When, when sin has, when the de- desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and eventually sin gives birth to death. So, so James is describing here again the normal experience of a, of a tempting desire coming up. And then the critical moment of of whether we look away from that or whether we begin nurturing that desire and being led away from the way of Jesus and the will of God in our lives. This is the, the question of our personal faith. In our personal lives, can we live our faith or are we destined to succumb in that moment to those temptations that pull us away from Jesus? And James wants to make it very clear to the the, the people he was writing to, that God cannot be the one responsible for that temptation. And and maybe to some of you that seems like, yeah, of course not. But but many of us, I would suggest, when we are wrestling with temptation, we we can sense that, God, why is it that I keep being tempted in this way? Are are, are you tempting me, God? And, And James shows in this passage that God is the source of everything that is good and every good gift. In other words, God can never be the tempter because God will not go against God's nature. That God's very essence is good. And so God God is unable to lead us away from his goodness and his gift. Catherine Sonderegger, a theologian, reflects on the goodness of God. And she writes, to worship a humble Lord is to taste and see that he is good. To praise and thank him, to stand in his presence, to lean upon him in need. It is a joy to the poor children of Eve that they may humbly dwell with the one who is. So importantly, because God is good, God is goodness in and of himself... That moment of of desire, that moment of 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 a warped or cracked desire leading us away from God is one that we are not inevitably going to succumb to because God in his goodness empowers our agency, empowers our will, empowers our ability 
to, to, to move in a different direction. James says that in that he, he commands us to rid ourselves of anything that would lead us to wickedness. Now, that's, that assumes a, an ability, a, a, an agency, a willfulness on our part. That our faith can be lived in that moment of temptation. Um, so, one of my temptations. Uh, we have lived uh, since... Uh, 2009, I think, in our home. It's a three-bedroom uh, uh, apartment, condo, one bathroom, and it's 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 beautiful. It's around a park. We love it. But but let me be, be honest and say that there are times, Maggie, right, when I think it'd be nice to have two bathrooms. When when a little person is knocking on the door of the bathroom again, I think well that would be nice. You know, to have two bathrooms. Or, or, or when people are being loud and I'm trying to read something or study something, I think, well, it'd be nice to be able to close a door to, to the hallway. Just Okay, so that, that's a desire, right? Now, I can do a couple of things with that desire. I can, I can nurture that desire that would lead me to greed, that would lead me to lusting after somebody else's larger space, someone who has more doors, more insulation in their walls, Pastor Michael. Or, or I, can, I can choose to remember that I have a roof over my head, that we're able to afford our mortgage, that we have beds to sleep on at night, that we have heat in the wintertime, and at the very least, an air conditioning unit I can put in the, winter, in the window in the summertime. I, I remember very clearly this moment when a, a friend's mother came to visit us. And it was in one of those moments where I was thinking like, ah, oh, this place is so small and I wish we had more space. And she walked in and she went, wow, this place is really nice. And I had to repent in that moment for the way that I had succumbed to temptations of greed or lust or envy over other people's spaces. Is anybody with me this morning? James says this is that the moment where, where the goodness of God, the, the good presence, the generous presence of God allows us to lean back into the goodness and the presence and the generosity of our God. Ask yourself this morning, what, what temptations do I just have? What temptations have become so natural that I don't even notice that I succumb to them? What, what are the things that are so kind of normal in our society, in our culture, in our world, that I don't even think of them as temptations any longer? Does that make sense? Because it's so normal around me, I don't even notice how they're leading me away from the heart of God. A temptation having to do with power, maybe, or sex, or money. What are the ways that, that these things have just become normalized for me so that I don't even notice the option to choose something different in my life? Does that make sense? Because whether we notice the ways we are succumbing or not, God desires our freedom, Amen. God desires us to live our faith in these very personal and intimate places of our lives. Now, now notice here the posture, because I know how some of us are wired. and Some of us hear this and we're like, ah, I just haven't been trying hard enough. 
I just gotta, I just gotta be, be, be more diligent in my prayer life. And I gotta just care more. And he asked Jesus to help me more. And I need to, there's a few of us who are like that. I need to strive harder. Notice the posture that James describes. Welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. The posture of welcome, of hospitality, is one in which we simply open the door to the one who has come to us. Do you see the picture in your mind? And it's God and God's goodness who comes to us to rescue us, to save us, to heal us, to restore us. That our posture in that moment of living our faith in these personal kinds of ways is not buckling down and let me do more. It's, God, you're already here. You're already present. You're already good. Let me open myself up to the gift that you want to give me. God gives us the ability to live our faith personally. And then secondly, he gives us the ability to live our faith publicly. Say publicly. James says that we are to be doers and not just hearers of the word. Okay, kids, here's where I need you to, to pay attention. Um, and, and I need a volunteer. I need volunteers willing to kind of come up here for a second. Uh, sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, I should be more specific. A kid. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Um, so as my volunteer is coming up, um, this side of the mirror. You can stand right here. Okay, start, start studying your face in this mirror. Okay, start looking at your face really good. If you need to pull down your mask, you can step over there if you need to. Have, just look in, at yourself in the mirror, study yourself really well. Just, just keep doing that for a second. Okay, so, so kids, 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 kids. Um, James says in this, in this passage that people, are you, are you getting it? Are you looking at everything? You got everything? Enjoy getting everything? Keep, keep studying, keep studying. Keep, there's going to be a test here in just a second. Okay, there's going to be a test. So, so, so kids, James says uh, that, that a person who who has faith in Jesus, who loves Jesus, but then doesn't do anything with that faith, who just keeps living like people without faith, is like somebody who, who looks at their face in the mirror like Joy is doing right now, and then walks away from the mirror and completely forgets what they look like. So have you studied your faith? Do you feel like you, you got a good... Okay, so put the mirror down. Now, now what, do you, what, do you, what, did, what did you see? Describe your face to us. You want to talk in the mic? Okay. Can she talk in the mic? Is that okay? Fine. Okay. Do you have two eyes? Yes. Two eyes. Do you remember the color of your eyes? Um, brown. Yep. What else? What else about you? Um. What's your? Can you? What? Do you remember what your hair looks like? Um, I have locks. You have locks. What color is your hair? Black. Okay. What else? You got, you got any ears? Yes. Any ears? Okay. What's the color of the mask that you're wearing? Do you remember? White. White. Anything else you remember about your face? My eyebrows. Your eyebrows? What? You remember you have eyebrows or anything about them? They have hair on them. They have hair on them. Yes. All right. Anything else, Joy? Is that? That's good. Okay. All right. Give it up for Joy, everybody. So kids, try this when you get home. It's actually harder than you would think. 
Look at your face. Kids, when you get home, look at your face in the mirror and then like close your eyes or look away and you're like, oh, what do I look like? But you're going to remember some stuff just like Joy did. I've got eyebrows. I remember what my hair looks like. I remember the color of my eyes. You're going to remember some things. But James says that people who, who have faith in Jesus, but then just keep living like everybody else is, is kind of like somebody who looks in a mirror and then forgets exactly what they look like. But then James contrasts that with a different kind of looking. It's actually a different word. And he contrasts it with somebody who who looks into the perfect law of liberty. And the word here is not just look as considering. It's look as as, as stooping down, as, as looking through, as leaning in. It's a considering. It's a meditation. It's a taking into ourselves what James calls the perfect law of liberty, uh, uh, the, the, the law as summed up of righteousness and love in the life of Jesus Christ, taking that into ourselves such that it has to be lived. It has to come out of us, not just personally, but publicly. And, and James uh, kind of uses the, the example of, of anger in this passage. He says that we are to be slow to anger. Uh, what does he say? Because our anger does not produce God's righteousness. Now, we know that Scripture tells us that it's possible to be angry without sinning. But the kind of anger that James seems to have in mind here, and I'm sure none of you can relate to this, is the anger where we have this self-righteous indignation. Where we just know that we are right. Where we know that we have the, pers- the right perspective on this thing. That we know that if we were in charge of the world, that things would be much better than they are now. It's the kind of anger that elevates us to almost a divine posture. It's, it's not an anger that has humility to it. It's not an anger that is submissive to the will and the presence of God in this world. It's an anger that assumes that it's my responsibility to make things right. But James says that it's actually the presence and the will of God in the world that advances God's righteousness. This is difficult because you and I, we want to do things. We want to accomplish things. We want to feel like we did something. The invitation here is an invitation to humble participation with God's righteousness in the world. It's an invitation to to live our faith publicly as children of God. This is not passive. This is active participation with profound humility. So I want to ask you this morning, what aspect of justice have you given up on in this world? Like, where have you become jaded where have you become cynical? Like when the, when the topic comes up, where do you find your heart hard? And is it possible that part of that hardness of heart, part of that cynicism, part of that it's never going to change, is because you have assumed a kind of power and authority and control that is not yours, that is God's alone? That you have burned yourself out with your own righteous indignation. Rather than humbly joining God's project of restoration and redemption in the world. There is no project of justice that God has given up on. Amen? There is no place of injustice that God is not actively working in. The invitation is for you and I humbly as image bearers of God, to join God in those places. I'm almost done. 
the last verse in our passage, I think, perfectly summarizes the the sort of faith that we're talking about this morning, the, the kind of faith that God makes possible. In verse 27, James writes, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is a call to faith which assumes a countercultural allegiance to God and to God alone. Our very desires and loves are, are transformed as we live this faith. We are coming to want holiness and justice. We are coming to want selflessness and righteousness. We are coming to want devotion and mercy. This is the definitive answer to the question, can our desires change? Can we grow? Can we heal? Can we be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Can this faith be lived? Yes. The answer is yes. But we have to remember We have to remember that our faith can be lived only because God makes it possible. The act of faith which endures temptation, which rejects rage, which cares for orphans and for widows in their distress, this kind of faith is an expression of God's grace to us. The Father of light, by His word of truth, has given us the gift of of faith. Now it's true that the vision that James casts for us in this letter is pretty intense. <laughs> it accepts no compromises with a watered-down, self-serving spirituality. I found myself convicted multiple times already reading this book. But please do not miss, please do not miss that this is also a vision of complete grace. God is the good giver. We are always the grateful recipients of God's generosity in our lives. Friends, God has given you the gift of faith. A faith that is meant to be lived personally and publicly. A faith that is meant to heal and restore you in the deepest, most intimate places of your life. And a faith that will call you to join God publicly as he renews this world with his justice and righteousness. So I want to give us a minute just of quiet uh, um, reflection and ask that you would, would ask yourself this question. How is God calling me to live my faith today? How is God inviting you to respond to his generosity today? For some of you, it might be deeply personal, deeply intimate. For others of us, it's going to be more public, joining what God is doing in our world. And you can maybe make a long list. Be gentle with yourself today. Ask that the Spirit would just prompt you with one, one of God's invitations to live your faith through the generosity and the goodness of God.
We're going to close in a couple of minutes. Uh, I'm going to ask, is Zach still here? Zach, um, if you can come up in just a couple of minutes and, and, and play for us. And then um, Jasmine and Ryan on the prayer team, uh, I'm going to have them come up in just a couple minutes. They're going to stand on either side here. When I benedict us, when I send us, uh, I want to ask that if the Holy Spirit prompted you in any way with anything particular about the invitation to live your faith, that you would come and ask one of these two folks, I'll stay up here as well, to pray for you this morning. The mistake that you and I can make is that when we start to get some clarity on how God is actually inviting us to, to step more deeply into faith, is that we hold that to ourselves. And this is one of the mistakes because God gives us the, the gift of his people. Amen? The life of faith is not meant to be lived alone. Um, so come and be prayed for this morning. Share this uh, with a friend, um, with somebody who will walk with you and pray with you uh, so that this act of faith could become more and more of a reality in your life. If you're online this morning, I'd invite you to share that um, maybe with somebody in your home and your family or reach out to the church um, and, and, and be active even now in the comments, encouraging one another, please. Um, okay, so let me pray for us and, uh, and benedict us. And then what I'd ask is if, if uh, you're not going to come and be prayed for, um, just quietly get your chair and set it on the side walls here so that our, our cleanup team can take care of that easily. And then just head outside so we can greet each other, so we can meet each other, hang out outside in the, in the open air. Uh, and then we'll look forward to seeing you next week. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for a sweet time of worship. Thank you for the gift of being together with your people. We thank you that we get to worship you with our whole selves, imperfect as we are, uh, sinners though we are, incredibly dependent on your grace and mercy though we are, uh, we get to worship you, to know you, to be known by you. Thank you that the faith that you give to us is a faith that is not just meant to comfort us on the inside, not to just bring us a, a kind of uh, a privatized peace, but it is a, a faith that we get to live that will impact our engagement with our neighbors, with how we see ourselves, with what we are open to in this world. So invite us this morning in some very specific, particular ways, please, to live this gift of faith. For those of us even now who find our hearts um, resistant to that possibility, who feel as though we've been burned before, would you speak a word of truth to us, Lord? Spirit of the living God, would you speak truth to us? Reminding us that the, the abundant life that you've called us to is, is perhaps far better, far, far bigger, far more reaching than we have previously allowed ourselves to believe. So we thank you for being this good and this generous. Sisters and brothers in Christ, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace now and forever. Amen. So I'm going to invite Jasmine uh, to come up here on your right and Ryan on your left.